T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Let's welcome in Christian Fourier from WEEI, former Patriots tight end. Christian, good to see you. Hear you at least, my friend, Dave Briggs and Ross Tucker. Hey, man, so I log on to Yahoo's homepage this morning, and those three words, the three little words, kick the tires, were on the Yahoo homepage because you set the sports world on fire yesterday saying the Patriots had kicked the tires on Antonio Brown. Explain what you meant by that. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. It's um, I've, I've never gotten uh, – we spent an hour and a half uh, – uh, defining what kick the tires means on on my show, and I never once said they were signing him. I never said they were interested in him. I never said that they. I mean, I, I mean, I was just lucky enough to bump into somebody, and I asked a question about you know have they discussed him, uh, and he said yeah, or I said they kicked the tires, and I said what does that mean? So. And that can mean whatever you want it to mean, you know, and they could mean uh, it doesn't necessarily mean like Robert Kraft is sitting there, you know, hey, let's do more research. I think when somebody tells me they kick the tires, it means, you know, hey, I'm curious about it. Uh, Let me just look at it one more time. Uh, I mean, I'm sure people have uh, been talking about it, but was there any real interest in signing him? No. And I've been saying that for the longest time, like since the very beginning. You know, I don't think anything has changed. I think they made the right decision. I think uh, he's not worth the time and effort. But with all the injuries and all the, uh, you know, just all the news that was coming out, you know, um, I was curious to know, like, what was going on, you know, and that was the that was what I got. And that's what I shared with my audience. You know, it's interesting, Christian, because as soon as I saw the apology from AB on social media, to Robert Kraft, and then I saw Brady and all the Patriots players liking it. And then when Belichick was asked about A.B., and he said, look, you have to ask uh, Mr. Kraft about that one, I kind of, you know, in my mind, I felt like a, a plan might be in place, or at least that something was in the works. I mean, he apologized to Kraft for a reason, right? He either did it because he wants to get back with the Patriots or because he thinks that's his best chance to get reinstated by the NFL. I guess not even reinstated. I mean, I guess anybody can sign him right now, but at least to get in the good graces of the NFL. Is that fair of me? Yeah, I mean, I think I think everything's fair. I think every assumption is fair uh, because everybody has – I guess, a scenario that they played out in their head and everyone's been trying to dissect it um, and try and make sense of it. I always go back to the original situation for the most clarity, regardless of what somebody tells me. The, the clearest, uh, the most clarity I get is the fact that he made a really terrible uh, statement in, in some text messages that he didn't mean to be public and it was released. Um, and it just showed, uh, in my opinion, a side of him that I wouldn't want anything to do with. 
I wouldn't want anything to do with him. And it was obvious that neither did the Patriots, so they cut him. You know, and then he then after that he starts you know you know uh, you know making comments about the crafts and and everything else that was that went along with that. So I just don't think they would go back to that. I don't think it would be worth it to them. Do they have a lot of issues on offense? I mean, are they are they banged up at the receiver position? Yeah, but I can't even imagine the amount of backlash or criticism that would come with them re-signing AB. So. You know, when I heard that, uh, you know, when I heard, oh, kick the tires, I was like, huh, all right. Okay, so I guess I guess at least they talked about it. You know, that didn't mean, hey, let's call Drew Rosenhaus. That didn't mean, hey, let's let's go, uh, you know, have him for a workout. You know, I had people texting me last night saying, oh, he's in, uh, he's in, he's staying at AB's, he's staying at Brady's house. And I was like, I, first of all, I know that's a lie, you know. So the misinformation uh, on this topic and the sensationalism of it is really at an all-time high, um, you know. So, but that's what that's what he comes with. That's the type of baggage that he comes with. So uh, I don't know. I, in one hand, I was like, it was kind of comical how crazy people got over that over pretty vague, uh, you know, uh, you know, topic, you know, comment. But people are obsessed with this guy. Yeah, those three little words, man, lit it up. By the way, Urban Dictionary defines kicking the tires as checking the viability of an unknown system by a quick test. That's it. That's how Urban Dictionary defines it. Ross brings up a good point about why did Antonio Brown apologize. That was discussed on your station, WEEI, this morning. And here's what they determined why AB apologized to Bob Kraft. Was there some sort of arrangement between the two listen up this happened after the meeting Mm -hmm. so something had to be said to drew rosenhaus to whoever after the meeting hey antonio here's what we're hearing if you can just go Mm -hmm. out there and apologize we put it and then the other thing i look at it is why isn't he apologizing to everybody? He specifically mm-hmm. apologizes to Robert Kraft. Right. So yeah. that tells me. Yeah, Mike Mayock hasn't gotten an apology. Right. Well, don't you think that's the guy you want to apologize to? One the guy. Call him a cracker. Yeah, you threaten to punch them. You know. Which I Anybody do. Anybody like, say my friend Antonio Brown? <laughs> right. Yeah, John could get an apology. Right, but he or did. Derek Carr. He didn't do that. He just. Mike Tomlin. Specifically. Roethlisberger. Robert Kraft. Yeah. So that tells me there was something there that was said to him or his camp that said, hey, there's a chance you can no. go back to New England. Here's what they're looking for. <laughs> All right. So your reaction? <laughs> Other than the laughter. I, mean, I don't know. What should it be? <laughs> like, I, I mean, I honestly have no clue why he apologized. None. My, your, your, your opinion, your idea, and your answer is just as viable as mine. I have no clue. I have not talked to anybody about it. I have not even I haven't researched it, um, and we everyone's just kind of trying to you know connect the dots the best they can. Um, so I have no idea. Maybe maybe in his delusional state he thought that was something that would help him out. I have no clue. I think Antonio Brown is is completely just you know for the most part irrational, um, a little delusional, uh, you know, a tad bit narcissistic, but I mean. I don't think it's going to work out here in New England. I mean, that's I've been pretty much consistent with that. But uh, the other stuff, 
You know, it's it just uh, it just continues. I don't even know what to say. I, I, I chuckle at it because every radio station I listen to, they all have their own opinion of why. You know, and Antonio Brown won't say anything. So how the hell are we supposed to know? Mason Rudolph was scheduled to speak to the media, and he elected not to. Mason Rudolph, if someone is accusing you of using a racial slur, presumably the N-word, you step to that damn microphone and have some accountability. Miles Garrett had no accountability, and I think he made matters a lot worse for himself. End of the day, Ross, is Mason Rudolph a racist or is Miles Garrett a liar? Someone's obviously lying, and so this situation is heinous no matter what now. Either someone used a racial slur that there's absolutely no place for and should never be used in any context, in any way in our society, or someone is falsely accusing someone of doing that. Either way, it's now a terrible situation, absolutely terrible. And it was already a bad situation. Now it's even worse. You know, Dave, I got to tell you, it would be great if there were some evidence that came out that we could know definitively, but it's hard to believe Miles Garrett. It's hard for me to believe that if that happened, that you wouldn't have said that after the game. You know, all he said after the game was, I lost my cool, I can't do that, you know, If someone really called you a racial slur, I don't know how you don't mention that after the game and say, look, I lost my cool. He called me something that set me off. Like, I I just don't know how you don't do that. So um, I don't believe Mason, uh, Miles Garrett, if something comes out later that uh, has any kind of evidence, then I will feel a lot differently about it. But when you watch the incident, you didn't see a whole lot of talking at all. I mean, it was Mason Rudolph trying to get his helmet off, Miles Garrett on top of him. I didn't really see the time or even the mouth moving for any type of racial slur. Nobody else heard it. And even if you remove all of those things, right, Miles Garrett still would have said things, something about after the game. So I don't believe him. And frankly, I think you know, Dave, I think I was almost as understanding of Miles Garrett as anyone because I've been in fights. I've been in a situation where a teammate swung their helmet at me. Uh, I thought he should be suspended for the rest of the season, but I understood how it could happen. And I actually praised Miles Garrett for his post-game accountability. And now even that's gone. Now even that's gone. I no longer feel that way about him at all. He's not being accountable for it. He's trying to pass the buck. And what's really sad about this is that it still doesn't excuse his actions. So he's lying, in my opinion, and greatly disparaging another human being, which is the exact opposite of being accountable. And it still doesn't even help him for the appeal Because even if that's the case, it's still not okay to hit Rudolph on top of the head with the helmet. So it doesn't even help you, and you lost, and the NFL said they found no evidence. It's like a uh, a, a triple crown of horrendousness from Miles Garrett's perspective now. 
Triple crown of horrendousness. Well said. Here's Miles Garrett's statement. I know what I heard. Whether my opponent's comment was born out of frustration or ignorance, I cannot say, but I know what I heard. Now, Mason Rudolph didn't speak to the media yesterday, didn't take questions, but he spoke through his attorney, which also bothers me, man. You're a quarterback, and yes, Miles Garrett had no accountability here, but you should speak for yourself, not through your attorney twice in a row now. The statement from the attorney, the malicious use of this wild and unfounded allegation is an assault on Mason's integrity, which is far worse than the physical assault witnessed on Thursday. This is reckless and shameful. And once again, we're left to ask, is he hinting about legal or civil action? That's what it sounded after the initial incident. And that's what it sounds like, again, if you read between the lines there from Mason Rudolph's attorney. Outstanding week 12 on tap in the NFL. One of the best games of the weekend has the NFC. Uh, North leading Packers traveling to San Francisco to take on the 9-1 49ers. Let's break that game down with Bill Schmidt, 105.7 The Fan in Milwaukee. Bill, good to see you, my friend Dave Briggs and Ross Tucker. Before we get into the game, which we will in depth, got to ask you, when is too early to listen to Christmas music, to put up a Christmas tree, and to put up Christmas lights outside your home. I've seen all three in the last 24 hours, and I'm not happy about it. Well, okay, so uh, just hand raised in air. I'll be doing that a little bit during the red zone at the noon games on Sunday. I'll be doing the tree. I'll be getting the lights ready to go. And I'll I'll be I'll be setting re- rock and roll. I love Christmas time though because guys, you got need to look at it this way. We're in Wisconsin. We got our first snowfall here like two months ago. So we've been waiting for there to be a reason for us to at least celebrate in this godforsaken winter. So at least you get a little bit of bright lights when it gets dark at like three thirty out here. So Bill, here's my question. Are you guys, is your, I didn't realize, I go on, uh, Dave, I go on Bill's show, they call him Baby Tausch, which I love, They I go on Bill's show every Wednesday at 3.45 p.m. Eastern, 2.45 Central. Is it the Wendy's Big Show, Bill? Yes, sir. Wendy's Big Show. Baconator, the bacon jalapeno. We always got a Frosty lined up for you. The Wendy's Big Show, rock and rolling. <laughs> All right, so you guys are sponsored by Wendy's then. That, yes, that's sir. Like, that's, the, that's the Wendy we're talking about. I that's, still that's love one. Frosties. I still love Frosties, and I'm still upset. One of my two daughters orders vanilla Frosties, and I feel like I've totally failed. Am I a failure out of, as a father considering one of my daughters orders a vanilla Frosty rather than obviously chocolate? Well, Ross, you also hear Leroy Butler on our show with us on that Wendy's Big Show. He's the same way. Vanilla Frosty, and then this weirdo eats it instead of with a spoon with his fingers. So don't worry about it. You're no failure. Any way you want, you can eat a Frosty. We also now are celebrating with, let me make sure I have this right, the Birthday Mm -hmm. Confetti Fun Cake Frosty. That you can find at Wendy's, too. Dude, I always I always went with the fries dipping in the frosty. I think Wendy's yeah. is the best of the fast food burgers. If I gotta sit down, I'm a Five Guys guy. And Bill, I had Five Guys at 3 a.m. 
this morning because the boss brought five guys. I had a burger, a hot dog, and fries at 3 a.m. Is, is that just disgusting? I mean, I got I got to work that off, brother. Dave, you're talking to a 300-pounder. There's never a wrong time to have five guys burger and fries, man. Best part about five, five guys is when they're taking the fries, they're just dumping the whole bag in the fryer, and then you're just whatever they put, put in there, you're getting on the plate. There's no portion control there. Dude, the first time I went to Five Guys, I think my wife and I both ordered fries. That was the dumbest <laughs> move of all time. I didn't realize you get one small order of fries and you could feed a small country just yeah, with the no one small it. order of fries. So mm -hmm. we've never made that mistake again. Billy, I want to ask you the same thing I asked Mike Fisher, who covers the Cowboys yesterday. And it's a little bit different with the Packers because they are eight and two, but it's sort of a holistic question, which is how good is this Packers team in your opinion? We're still trying to figure it out, Ross. We, we really are. And, and I believe they're going to be as good ultimately as Aaron Rodgers is going to be towards the end of this thing. You, you guys know this better than, than all Ross big time players are going to make big time plays in big time games. And this is, the biggest game right now that this 2019-2020 Packers team is going to face. And with Matt LaFleur coming in, guy won his first game as a head coach. That doesn't happen much in this league. Won his first road game as a coach in this league. That doesn't happen much. And there hasn't been a ton of adversity that's hit this team outside of Devontae Adams missing four games, which they ended up winning all four of those games. They're as good as Aaron Rodgers is and as good as they're going to run the football that day. We've seen them now twice struggle running the football against the Eagles and against the Chargers. And the Chargers was some self-inflicted. They only handed the ball off, I think, 10 times in that game. And, and they really got away from their game plan being able to keep the ball on the ground. They got a really, really good two-headed monster in Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones. When they can run the football it keeps that defense on the on the bench, keeps that pass rush resting a little bit, and they can pin their ears back and get a lead and go after teams. Guys, they've gotten ahead of most teams that they've played this year. They've led in seven of their 10 games already, feeling like that might be one of the reasons why they've covered seven out of their 10 spreads. They're, they're the best team in the NFL against the spread. I think they're one of the best teams in the NFC, but this is that signature win we thought it came down in Dallas. This would be the one that they get out in Santa Clara this weekend. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Samuel Adams, Utopia's Beer.
if you can get your hands on it, it's 200 bucks. If you can't, you're going to have to pay what I'm seeing north of 800 on the internet at the moment. 28% alcohol illegal in 15 states. We'll get into it at 10.02 Eastern Time with Jim Cook. He is the founder of Samuel Adams Brewery. Good friend of mine, Jim. Good to see you, Dave Briggs and Ross Tucker. Is it too early to drink beer, Jim, at 10.02 Eastern Time? Cheers. No, it's not. It's okay. Well, now I'm really feeling left out because I'm the only one that doesn't have a beer because I got to go talk to college football coaches for a production meeting. Jim, I got to tell you, when I was playing for the Patriots, my wife and I did the brewery tour up there. Uh, absolutely loved it. And in fact, I couldn't believe that the bald guy with the big beard that's in the commercials, he was actually there. Like, he's not an actor. Like, he's a real dude in the brewery, like, actually making the beer. Of course he's a real dude. It's Bobby. He's been with us 20 years. He does make the beer. There is truth in advertising every once in a while. All right, so here's my question for you, Jim, to start things off. The, and the brewery tour was amazing. I had no idea until I looked you up that you got your BA, your Bachelor's of Arts, your JD, and your MBA all from Harvard. So two that was not what I was expecting from the Sam Adams founder. So two things. One is... Do you really just like school that much? And number two, does it still hurt you every day when you go to bed that you were not able to get into Princeton University, the number one school in the country? Uh, well, I actually did. <laughs> Harvard instead. <laughs> <laughs> and so, Jim, if you could tell people how you wound up as the founder of Sam Adams. It wasn't a direct line out of Harvard. No, it wasn't exactly a normal career path uh, out of Harvard. Um, but I, yeah, it, it's pretty simple. Uh, I'm the sixth oldest son in a row to be a brewer. So my dad was a brewmaster, my grandfather, my great-grandfather, all the way back to the 1840s. So beer has always been in my blood, usually about a 0.05, a 0.06. So I'm, I'm legal, <laughs> but I, I try to, you know, keep my BAC uh a little bit elevated and I've always loved beer. You know, I, I got out of Harvard. I worked as an outward bound instructor for three and a half years. And then I got my uh, JD and my MBA. Uh, and then I had a consulting job. Uh, I did that for like six years and I was done. I just didn't want to do it anymore. I walked in the next day. I gave my notice. Then I tried to figure out what I wanted to do. And this was, you know, back in 1983, 84, when there was really no craft breweries. In fact, the name hadn't been invented. There were, you know, a handful, half a dozen lunatics trying to make a living making beer on a small scale. Uh, and I decided to give it a shot. I'd been a home brewer. I started in my kitchen. We were the smallest brewery in America when we started. It was two people. And the rest is history. You know, Jim, it's funny because I love beer. Um, I love Sam Adams. I love all kinds of IPAs. I think the older I get, I'm more into double IPAs. But it's interesting. I feel like, do you feel like on some level, all the different breweries that are popping up everywhere, all the different microbreweries, do you feel like, Jim, that you're like the, the father 
of that movement? Because to me, you were like the first one I knew of that kind of started making a higher quality, different, better tasting beer, and you did it on your own. Do you feel like you're the you're the father of this beer explosion? Sometimes I do. And, and to me, it's just great because when I started, we were one of, you know, you could, one of a handful of, you know, people trying to make great beer here in the United States. I named my beer after Sam Adams because he was a revolutionary and I wanted to help create a beer revolution and bring great beer to the U.S. So today there's like 8,000 of us, 8,000 small independent brewers yeah, and today the best beers in the world aren't made in Germany. They're not made in Belgium. They're not made in Australia or anywhere else. They are made right here in the United States. Today, American brewers are the best brewers in the world. And that's like super cool to me. Absolutely. Talking to Jim Cook, the founder of Samuel Adams, and it's now a $26 billion industry, but are you as big as you are now still a craft brewer? Yeah, we are still uh, a craft brewer. Um, we, I mean, Sam Adams has made this big impression on people. Um, you know, Sam Adams has about 1% of the U.S. beer market, not even. So, you know, we, we're probably, uh, it's like, I don't know, it, we're like the tallest pygmy, um, you know, which that doesn't mean we're ready for the NBA, but we're bigger than all the other pygmies, so I guess that's a good thing. <laughs> so we all know about Boston Lager, uh, uh, Jim. And by the way, I, I grew up like 20 minutes from Yingling. So I actually, I've done the tour in the caves there. I'm a big brewery tour guy. My wife and I are. Yingling's a great beer. Yeah, it is. Yeah, we, uh, we take a lot of pride in it from... Uh, that area of Pennsylvania. Now, it's funny now, Jim, you'll appreciate You're this. You're a coal cracker. Now, that's right. That's right. That's right. Now I live down All right. closer to Hershey and Harrisburg. So I, I like Trogues. Like they got a double IPA, Nimble Giant. I really like. How do you balance sort of um, mass producing Boston lager for all the people that love it versus trying new beers, trying some IPAs, double IPAs, things like that. Because I'm sure that there's a, a yin and a yang from the business perspective as well. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, Boston Lager is still my favorite beer. I've been drinking it pretty much every day of my life for 35 years. And uh, I still look forward to the next sip. So there's, you know, we have lots of passion for, you know, the beers that we make. And in a normal year, We'll probably brew maybe 150 different beers, trials, testing stuff, some of them crazy, I mean, and probably the lunatic fringe of, of brewing is Sam Adams Utopias. That's like the Star Trek of beer. It takes beer where no beer has gone before. And here it is. I have the bottle here. Thank you for sending it to me. It is... Uh, from what I understand, a $200 bottle, but I'm seeing bottles on the internet go for as high as two, uh, $800. Um, it is 28% alcohol, which makes it illegal in 15 states. I'm going to try my first sip here. And uh, as I do, tell us about this beer. What oh, makes man, it you got like so $40 worth of it in that glass. Uh, is that too much? 
<laughs> yeah, well, yes, you have to approach Sam Adams' utopias differently, like a cognac. Um, one ounce is a pretty good serving because it'll it gets in your mouth. You're like, oh, wow. Wow, and that is right. Tell me yeah, about it. it. There is no beer like that. It The flavor profile you're going to find somewhere between like a vintage port and an old sherry and a fine cognac. Nobody ever identifies it as beer. And what I was trying to do with Utopias uh, is push out the boundaries of beer. Uh, it's like, you know, Ross, it's like if you could throw a football 300 yards, wouldn't that be cool? Well, you know, Sam Adams Utopias is like hucking a football 300 yards. Um, it never been done before. Uh, it's the strongest naturally fermented beer ever made. Um, and it just takes beer into uh, the realm of the very finest, you know, wine and spirits. And I thought that would be a cool thing to do. Yeah. So, Jim, you got to explain to me, like, what kind of beer is it? I, I've had double IPAs. I had triple IPAs recently. They're still like 10, 11, 12 percent. I love yeah, them. Those you know, the children. Yeah, this is, <laughs> those are beginner's beers. Utopias is, you know, what you've been practicing for. Um, it It is unlike any other beer ever made. And I, uh, for me as a brewer, it's just fun to do it. Uh, it took us, oh gosh, like mm, seven years to develop it. And we've been making it, uh, I think this is about the 11th release of it, but it doesn't have a, I can't tell you what kind of beer, I guess the, the word that other brewers will use is extreme beer. This is outside the boundaries of conventional brewing to to bring new flavors and tastes to beer drinkers. Got it. Okay, so this is not like a uh, quadruple quintuple uh, IPA or something. It's not. There's not even like it doesn't even go into a typical beer category. Exactly. This is unique. There is literally nothing like Utopias brewed by any brewer in the world. Nobody's yet been able to even get close to this. Okay, I got a couple of questions about it. And, and one, what do you make of the fact that I'm seeing it right now go for more than $800 a bottle on the internet? And two, there are no bubbles in this, Jim. So can I just put the top back on or will it go flat? Will it go bad? No, at this level of alcohol, uh, the carbonation has long since fled the premises. Uh, it's been gone for years. Um, the... And, and I should explain how we make Utopias. We make uh, different batches and we will age them in uh, used spirit barrels. So like uh, whiskey, you know, bourbon barrels, scotch barrels, cognac barrels, uh, more exotic things like Madeira and Calvados, some sherry barrels, uh, some port barrels. And we make Utopias by blending all these different barrels, and some of them are 25 years old. So we actually, uh, you know, we have barrels of beer that are old enough to drink themselves. You probably never had 25-year-old beer. Uh, that's what's going on in Utopias. I think that's super cool that 
um, you know, we're able to make a beer that people think is is worth eight hundred dollars, and I can sort of validate that for them because um, over the years we've bl done blind tastings of Utopias against uh, you know five hundred dollar bottles of port, and we win. We've done it against like uh, Louis Trez and Inez, which are thousand dollar bottles of cognac, and we win. So uh, to me, uh, it, it's obviously worth it. If, if uh, you know, sophisticated wine and spirits writers taste Utopias and compare it to a thousand dollar bottle of cognac and say the Utopias is better, well, eight hundred dollars—that's a bargain. And you get a nickel back for the bottle if you bring it back in Boston. <laughs> hey, Jim, here's my question. Before we started this segment and brought you on, you were asking Dave what kind of glass he had. Now, I've got, like, I, I really like beer, but I'm not as particular about the glasses as my buddies are. But that was the first question you asked. So talk to me about which glasses matter and why it matters. Yeah, well, everybody knows that you're not going to drink a really fine wine out of a juice glass or a pint glass, right? So the glass actually affects your taste experience. We know that with wine, and obviously it's going to be true with a really good beer as well. It's the same physiology of taste, the same physics of the glass. So for um, Utopias, you want basically something like a, uh, you know, a cognac glass, not the big, you know, big bowl brandy snifter thing, but uh, a small glass that has an outturned lip that will present the beer to the front of your palate so that you get the proper taste experience. With Boston Lager, we designed this special glass that enhances the flavor. It's got the outward turned lip that puts the beer in the front of your palate. It's got this bowl that concentrates the aroma. We even take a laser and in the bottom, we etch in these little laser marks. They're, they're nucleation sites where bubbles form and you get a stream of bubbles going through the beer, collecting aromas, getting to the surface, popping and releasing all those aromas. So uh, a proper glass actually does make a difference. Talking to Jim Cook, the founder of Samuel Adams. So what's your word for all these people drinking all that spiked seltzer today? You know, uh, if you like it, it's good. Um, to me, and we do make a spiked seltzer called Truly. It was actually, we in, we were the first spiked seltzer uh, with Truly Hard Seltzer. Um, to me, again, it's an opportunity to be innovative, to creative, to push the envelope, to do cool things uh, that haven't been done before. And to me, you know, a, a truly hard seltzer, I'd much rather have that than like, you know, a vodka soda. Um, so, you know, those times when you want something that tastes great, really flavorful, but also refreshing, and you don't want a lot of calories, you don't want to get filled up, hard seltzers, you know, it's a pretty good choice. Boston Lager is your favorite. You can have a favorite kid. You can have a favorite beer. We have Bloody Mary Friday every every Friday on this program, but I am game for replacing it with 
with Sam Adams Friday. You know, we could use a sponsor here, uh, Jim. So yeah. If you're, so, you know, we if can send you some beer. We're in. We're in. Samuel you got Adams Friday, done. Quality drinkers. <laughs> we appreciate the time, Jim Cook. Everybody check out Utopias. Hopefully you don't have to pay $800 for it. 28% alcohol, illegal in 15 states. And I got to say, it's delicious. Jim, thanks for being here. We really appreciate it. Cheers. Ross, you got to get a bottle. We're going to have to get you one. That's a little, $200 is a lot for me. I better get, uh, I feel like, I feel like for $200, that better be three or four nights in a row where it puts me to sleep. <laughs> uh, and, and it probably will. I mean, come on. How many shows are you listening to where they have on the founder of Sam Adams Brewery and they drink $200 bottle of beer on air? You got to stick here to home and home. What else we do is we get to go around the country ways other shows cannot and get the feel of the local markets, what their concerns are, what the angry callers are all dialed into. And let's do that now. We'll start on this Friday rant day in Philadelphia, our friends at WIP. What are the callers saying about Carson Wentz and the way he's played of late? Listen up. Ladies and gentlemen, the Philadelphia Eagles will beat the Seattle Seahawks on Sunday, 26 to 24. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. You understand? What's going on, everyone? Jenna Cameron, Jen Richie, it is 94 WIP. John, one of the things that hits me is, you know, this is a, this is Carson Wentz, Eagles, Russell Wilson, Seahawks. And one of the things that really hits me is since they last played two years ago, the incredible divergence that's happened with their careers. Whereas, you know, like two years ago, early December 2017, if we ask Eagles fans, prior to the game, of course, Eagles lost the game, but Carson was having a spectacular season. Prior to that game, hey, which quarterback would you rather have, Carson or Russell Wilson? You're going to get Carson, Carson, Carson. Uh, hey, Carson. And if we said to them especially, whose future would you rather have, 100, and I mean 100, not 99, 100% of Eagles fans, 100% of Eagles fans early December 2017 would have said, oh, I'll take Carson Wentz's future. No question about it. Well, John, here we are now two years later. It must be the receivers. It must be the wind. It must be something other than Wentz. Because he's got 56 yards close to halftime. He's not even going to hit his usual 200-yard game. Dear Carson, it is your fourth year in the NFL. When are you going to realize that you don't have a half hour to throw the ball away? Wake the f*** up. Time is not yours. All right, the refs aren't going to lose us the game, but this offense is going to lose us the game. Come on, get in this game. Play like the defense. Let's do something for real. This one's for John Ritchie. There's about three minutes and ten seconds left in the fourth quarter, and look who just left the game, Mr. Jason Peters. One behind him, one high, and one in the dirty. Looks like McNabb. Carson, you suck. <laughs> Ross, how are you feeling? Do you feel different about Carson Wentz than you did a year ago? Uh, maybe a little bit. I, I guess 
I mean, he's still a top 12 quarterback in the NFL. I think that people's expectations were really high because in 2017, he was arguably the end of the league. And so as a result, Eagles fans got very excited, very hopeful, and they put the expectations very high. I don't think he's met those this year. In fairness, the best receiver, Deshaun Jackson, played all of one game. Uh, Al, uh, Alshon Jeffrey's been a disappointment. Nelson Aguilar's been a gigantic disappointment. I mean, he has not had an easy go of it. His receivers have not made plays for him. But especially last week against the Patriots, he missed some throws, especially on the last drive. It's weird. He, like, makes these incredible throws. But then he missed some easy ones, some gimmies that he just can't miss. And the the frustration from the fans comes from some of the missed throws, some of the holding the ball in the pocket, the fumble. It, you know, that was a huge missed opportunity for the Eagles against the Patriots. They could have won that game. And the combination of the drops and Wentz not playing well enough is why they didn't. Yeah, you hear a lot about the receivers. I'm pretty sure Tom Brady would love to have Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard, two targets he doesn't have. Yes, he has Edelman, but Tom Brady, according to the folks at Pro Football Focus, Brady 7, Carson Wentz uh, right now graded as the 11th best quarterback in football. Kyle Allen, he is currently graded as the 32nd best quarterback, according to Pro Football Focus. That's where Ross and I diverge. Here's what they're saying on WFNZ about Kyle Allen, his future, and what about Cam? Good morning, Charlotte. Welcome aboard. There was never a long-term Kyle Allen scenario, at least in my mind. Uh, you know, I think we're so, at this, this area, so quick to dismiss Cam Newton and what he's done, who he is, what he brings to the table. When healthy, and that's always going to be the caveat, when he's healthy, I think he, he's superior to anything that Kyle Allen could have possibly dreamed to be. Does anybody have any faith left in guys like Marty and Ron? And there's no way you can have faith left in Kyle Allen. Some guy texted me and said, Mac, if Cam's not the starter, well, then Kyle Allen is. No, there's this thing called a draft. And maybe a first-round draft pick should be used. Not the 100th pick in the draft. And speaking of the 100th pick, maybe at some point, if things continue to go like this, we could see Will Greer play. I don't know why we couldn't see Will Greer play at the end yesterday. You drafted the damn you know? kid in the, in the third round for a reason. Why did you th We know he struggled in the preseason, but what did it hurt yesterday? Give him a look. I don't, what the hell, man? What's the matter yesterday? At some, I don't get that. As Kyle Allen exposes himself as a dude that's not worthy of being a starter moving forward, aren't you kind of curious over there about Will Greer? Anybody curious about Will Greer? But games like the Bears a couple years ago, Washington last year, Tampa Bay beginning of this year, Atlanta yesterday, uh, the next Atlanta game, the Washington game, he's got a bad loss every year, and those are the ones that ultimately will be the undoing of Ron Rivera. It's not the Niners' loss. It's the loss in Week 2 to Tampa Bay. It's the loss at home yesterday. You have two home division losses to Tampa Bay and Atlanta. That's unacceptable. Uh, I don't care who your quarterback it's is. It's brutal. Wow. So I've been very tough on Kyle Allen. That makes me feel a little bit bad for the guy, knowing what they're saying in his local market. Three touchdowns, nine picks last four weeks, but also 18 sacks. Ross, you feel like he's getting a bad shake. Well, yeah, I just don't. I, I think people are quick. This is how it happens based on draft status. You know, a first round pick 
can have three or four bad games. Then they have one good game. Everybody says, see, that's what he is. That's what he can be. That's why we took him in the first round. An undrafted free agent has three or four good games. Then he has one bad game. People say, see, he stinks. He can't play. Look, Kyle Allen should be the quarterback for the rest of the year. At the end of the year, they should evaluate the entire body of work. Obviously, Cam Newton's health and put all those things together and factor in the decision. But the knee-jerk reaction to putting Will Greer in, that would never happen if Kyle Allen was a, even a second-round pick as opposed to undrafted free agent. They wouldn't be saying bench Kyle Allen this quickly. He's, it's his first year as a starter. He was on practice squad almost all year last year. He's essentially a rookie. I think he gets a shot. I think they're going to hang on to Cam Newton, pay that $19 million, see how they compete, at least if Cam Newton gets healthy. One of the interesting storylines this week before we say goodbye was Rob Gronkowski teasing us again with another return to the Patriots. And we all knew what was coming, but we took the bait. And then Gronk put on a dance show and said, I've got Gronk Beach coming in South Beach the day before the Super Bowl. Not coming back to the Patriots, but he's got some pretty cool musicians, including Flo Rida down there in South Beach. Well, apparently the folks in Boston are getting a little tired of the act, Gronk. They just want you to be honest. You're not coming back. We got some callers from WEEI as we say goodbye for the week. And I toast to Sam Adams and Ross Tucker. Here are the callers from WEEI on Gronk's Theatrics. See you next week. It's the Greg Hill Morning Show with your host, Greg Hill. All right, so so the whole... Um... The, the whole Gronk saga, right? Yeah. He's a great Hall of Fame tight end, great guy, the whole nine, okay? In two words. That's all I got is two words. Go away. Do you know what I'm saying? It's just, it just gets redundant. It's horrible. It's dumb. A standalone product like Gronk, without the Patriots as any form of relevance, is kind of boring and just, you know, trying to profit off of any drop of relevance that is out there. He was on James Corden the other night, and the crowd and the audience was kind of golf clapping, like, yay, get out, <laughs> like, go away. Hi, everyone. This is Dave Briggs. Thanks for listening to the Home and Home podcast. Remember, you can watch or listen live every day from 8 to 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time, exclusively on the Radio.com app or on the web at Radio.com slash home. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.